Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello, and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, um, so I know you're not a doctor, but maybe you can help me out. Mm. I'm I'm feeling, like, really, really weird today. Can I, like, tell you my symptoms, and maybe you can help me figure it out? Okay, first of all, I kind of am a doctor inside my head, so please go ahead. Let's see what I can do. Okay, cool. Okay, so I'm, like, feeling calm. Mm. Um, I'm, like, not afraid. Okay. And I'm kind of, um, like, unsad. Am I sick? Okay, couple couple questions to clear a few things up. Have you taken a Xanax? No, I haven't taken okay, anything. Okay, no Xanax. No. Have you had chamomile tea? No, I haven't had any tea of any kind. Okay, are you smoking weed? No. And, okay. And, and, and I'm still, I'm not terrified. What is wrong with me? Erin, I, I think it might be a splash of optimism because... What? Because... Donald Trump's not president anymore. Donald Trump is not the president anymore. Oh, my God. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. On this week's episode, Representative Madeline Dean, Kieran Deal, and Jaleesa Arce join us to tackle the following questions. When did Amy Klobuchar become hilarious? Just how big is President Biden's plan for his first 100 days in office? What will impeachment of that other guy look like when it's taken to the Senate? And which members of the outgoing administration did we pick for an epic fuck that guy send off? All this and more right now. Okay, folks, the inauguration ceremony literally just finished because the news for once warned us in advance that it was going to happen on Wednesday. So we were able to plan accordingly. Alyssa, a real big victory for us. Mm. (laughs) which means we now have a new president, President Joe Biden, and we have a madam vice president by the name of Kamala Harris. And we will, uh, we're never, ever again going to live in a country that has never had a woman in the number one or two office in the land, which is 
fucking awesome. And so suck my dick, Phyllis Schlafly. I hope you're forced to watch Sonia Sotomayor swear in Kamala Harris from your room in hell. Oh, Erin. Okay. I thought we were going to be nice this week. Well, Phyllis, that's true. Okay. You know, I'm sorry. I'm just so used to being pissed that I feel like I'm learning how to write with my non-dominant hand. (laughs) Like, I can't. Yeah. So, okay. So we just witnessed a defiantly normal inauguration of our 46th president. And because this is going to be a newsy episode, I'm going to bring in the co-hosts early and let them stay for the entire show just because we love you guys and we also love them. So first up, she is, uh, you guys know her, you love her. She's been around since the very beginning. She's a comedian. She's a writer. She's a director. She does it all. It's Kieran Deal. Oh, hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Welcome to America. Welcome. Welcome. I'm welcoming myself. <laughs> are you in Florida or are you, are you back? Yes, yes. I'm back both metaphorically and physically and emotionally and cognitively in America. <laughs> cognitively in America? Yes, yes. I was somewhere else. I was, oh. I, I had turned off my brain for four years. So, so. I was going to cognitively in America. So you're like, less good at math than kids in other countries? Is that cognitively in America? That might be true. Okay. Okay. Cool, (laughs) cool, cool. Glad we cleared that up. And uh, we're really excited to have her today. You guys know her. You love her. She's been on Hysteria a bunch of times. She's a best-selling author, and you can check out her forthcoming book, Rejecting Assimilation. It's Julissa Arce. Welcome, Julissa. Hello. I'm so excited to be back. Of all the days, this is like the most special day to be back on Hysteria. Yeah, it's a, it is a special day. And uh, I want to congratulate you also on just sending your manuscript in yesterday. That's got to feel that's, good. That's huge. Everyone it's I like know a who's huge written a book. Off my shoulders. Yeah, everyone I know who's written a book says it just sucks. And then they keep doing it over and it, over again. It really does. I Every time I write a book, this is my third one. And every time I write a book, I think to myself, I need to find a new career. And... <laughs> then somehow I'm already thinking about the next book I'm going to write. But it really, really sucks to be a writer. Like writing is painful. Yeah. Yesterday, Josh was like going out to do some writing because he likes to go outside and write. And um, I was like, are you sad? And he goes, no. Then I was, I said, you're not doing writing right then. You're supposed to be. <laughs> it's miserable. It's not fun. Um, <laughs> yep. Anyway, I'm, uh, congratulations on, on getting Thank that out you. the door. And uh, let's immediately get to it. I want to start with you, Julissa. What are your thoughts on the inauguration? Um, I cried about 20 times. Um, I was really, I really lost it when J-Lo busted out with her Spanish, justicia <laughs> para todos. I was like, yes. Like, I don't know if there's been Spanish at another inauguration. Like, I was trying to find that out. Um, it was really emotional, really beautiful. Lady Gaga, oh my God, can that woman sing? that dove of hope that she was wearing on her on her shirt i mean it was it was what i hoped the inauguration would be it was um it was really great you know the first time i voted for president was when um that orange guy won and i felt like i was bad luck uh because that's the first time i voted <laughs> You and Samantha B both were like, I broke it. (laughs) I really think I did. I was like, no, this is not how my first time is supposed to go. Um, I've said that other times before too. Um, But uh, this time I was like, okay, like I helped elect this guy. You know, like I made phone calls. I um, did all the the sort of things that I could do. And so it just felt really, 
really good. It felt really good to to have a new president and to have a new vice president. And that Justice Sotomayor, the first Latina Supreme Court justice, uh, was the one that swore her in. I mean, it was it's a good day for women, and I think particularly for women of color. Mm-hmm. Very happy today. Can you give me a little bit of a cry by cry? You said you cried um, when J Lo uh, when J Lo spoke Spanish. Uh, when, yeah, that's were some when I other ugly crying. Ugly crying. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I cried when Kamala started coming down stairs. I cried. Uh, I cried when I saw what's his name? Garth. Is it Garth Brooks? Come out in mm-hmm. jeans. I was like, Why is he wearing jeans? And you cried. <laughs> yes, because I was like, No. <laughs> Not jeans. Oh my god! Um, I cried. I cried. Um, I mean, the moment that Biden got up there, I was like, "This guy has wanted this job for a really long time, and like never gave up, and like here he is." I cried when uh, Kamala gave a little fist bump to Michelle. Um, let's see. I mean, I, I probably cried more than 10 times. I think I just probably <laughs> cried throughout the thing. Yeah. You know, crying is a little bit like shampooing your hair. Like the first time you put it in, it takes a little while to foam up. But if you put more in, it's like foamy immediately. Mm-hmm. It's like once you're in the cry zone, it sort of just comes. Alyssa, um, tell me about your you spent time you spent in the cry zone today. The cry zone. Okay, guys, it started early with the littlest, tiniest Biden in a plaid blazer and little baby cap. What the <gasps> fuck was that? It was the cutest thing. Also, does anyone know the baby's name? I couldn't find it anywhere. No. What I don't know, the- but that, that baby is an American hero. American hero. It was almost like he was a little Dutch boy with that cap on. Anyway, so it started there. Then when I thought back, like, last inauguration, I had just started a new job, and I was at that office. And um, I looked around and I was like, who are these heathens that are like not watching the inauguration? Like, I don't care if it's Donald Trump. This is like the fucking inauguration. Like, take a beat. And I felt really self-conscious because that one I sobbed like a little bitch. This one was more like soft weeping, soft tears, misty-eyed the whole time. I love, first of all, the palette of color that's back. I don't know what it is about Republicans. Do they only own white? Is they think that do they think that's like the only appropriate thing to wear to big events so that you can spot them in a crowd? Because they're not doing it because they think they're suffragists. Um, <laughs> but the palette of color, it was like jewel tone, pastel, bold, bright. I loved it. But the actual, like, so the thing is because, you know, I oversaw two inaugurations, 2009 and 2013. So my thing is like when shit's just going right, I'm like, I'm just so deeply, like, just excited for everyone involved. I mean, when you think about it, these people did, the Biden folks, had a great virtual um, convention back in August. And I'm sorry, did anyone miss the crowd? I didn't miss the crowd. It was beautiful. It didn't look fucking weird, socially distanced. I mean, maybe we're just so used to it, but I thought it was great. But I mean, when Michelle and uh, when when uh, former First Lady Michelle Obama and her husband, Barack Obama, got out of the <laughs> car and you could see that in 2017, she was one way and this way was the opposite. Her hair, last time her hair was pulled back. She had like no makeup on. She had that fuck you look on her face the whole time. And this time she's like, I'm sorry, am I a model? I'm feeling like a model today. <laughs> and I loved that. And like Hillary in her purple and she looked great. And then George and Laura. 
He even looked dapper. Everyone was like, it's like inside their heads, they were all singing free at last for their own different reasons. <laughs> True. Uh, Karen, what was your experience watching the inauguration or like interacting with it online? You had a quote, I think one of the first times Biden spoke on Twitter where it just said like, it just said, bore me, daddy. Um, <laughs> I, did, I did tweet that at the president. That is true. <laughs> yeah, you were like, bore me, daddy. And I was like, it's such a, it, I think sometimes it's like you don't even realize how much you're holding your breath uh, until until something is just, you know, more normal. I loved that Kamala was um, wearing purple um, and that was supposed to be a nod to like Shirley Chisholm. And like, you know, it's just this kind of like legacy of, people before you who have, you know, um, tried and not quite gotten there and then kind of saying you're here too. I think that was really like elegant. Um, I loved how the sentences were so long um, and all the syllables that were used. Do you know what I mean? That was really comforting, you know, was weird Mm -hmm. to hear Biden talk about having a soul um, like it mattered. Like I was like, mm-hmm. oh, whoa. And then he was like, there's things that Americans love. And I was like, get, I was like malls. <laughs> In my mind, I was like guessing. I was like malls, pandas. What do we love? And he was Action like, heroes no. named Chris. Yeah, exactly. It was like Marvel movies, Thor. And he was like, hope, justice, the truth. And I was like, yeah, those two. <laughs> so, so yeah, it felt like it, it just... Look, it's the it really is one of the most powerful positions in the world, and it is it, it's tr- it's truly insane that there's such a filtration process. There's so many brilliant people in this country, and it's insane that there's such a filtration process to get to that place that you could ever have anyone in office who wasn't as competent as a dish rag, you know? <laughs> like that's just a wild. I'm, it'll take a while to get over that. Yeah, I want to take a minute to single out, uh, I cried too, like you, Julissa. I think the time I released the waterworks when Kamala Harris took her oath, I mm. was crying. I was crying so much that the dog attempted to console me. We had uh, <laughs> we put on his bow tie for the inauguration. I will text you guys a picture of him wearing his inauguration <laughs> bow tie. Um, and he was sitting on the couch with my husband and I, and I just, I was like crying. And uh, that just felt so powerful just to see a woman up there taking the oath. And it was just so cool to witness history. Another moment that kind of bookended the um, ceremony was um, Amanda Gorman, a Mm. poet who Mm. was born in 1998, uh, um, (laughs) delivered an incredible reading of a poem that she wrote called The Hill We Climb. Being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a forest that would shatter our nation rather than share it, would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. 22 years old from Los Angeles. She's the youth poet laureate. And she looked like sunshine incarnate on the stage. She um, 
used her hands to tell the story. And she was wearing a ring, apparently, that used to be Maya Angelou's that Oprah lent her. So no big deal. Um, she, she looked amazing. She sounded amazing. And the poem itself was so uplifting. And it was incredible to hear a person that's 22 have such a optimistic outlook on the world because their entire life, all of their memories would be like tragedies connected by us reeling as a country. You know, 9-11 might have been one of her earliest memories. Um, the financial crisis, she was probably in elementary school for that. And yet she's getting on stage at an inauguration and reading a poem that is like deeply optimistic. And, and I felt so moved by that. If someone who's 22 who lives here can be optimistic about the future of the country, then I should feel that way too. It was, it was so effective and it, it moved me so much. There was one part in the poem that, uh, really kind of spoke to me. I mean, every single line was amazing, but there is a line she said uh, that she said, it's it's the past we step into and how we repair it. And to me, that line really encapsulated so much of what I am feeling uh, because I think, you know, there was one line that, that Joe Biden said in his speech where he said, you know, he, he wanted to work for the people who didn't vote for him just as hard as he was going to work for the people that voted for him. And I know he has to say that, but I was kind of like, well, I do really hope that he works for like black women and indigenous people and Latino people like a little harder, maybe a lot harder <laughs> than he will for like, you know, the, the white nationalist that voted for Trump. And I think, you know, this whole idea of like moving forward and being united. Like, I do think it's important, but like we have to realize that we are stepping into a past that we have to repair, right? And that's why that line was so powerful for me because there has to be healing. And in that healing, there has to be accountability. And and I want to, I've sort of really tried to remind myself that as excited as I am that Donald Trump is no longer president, that as excited as I am that um, we have our first uh woman vice president, that the work is not yet done, that we have a lot of work ahead and that Joe Biden was, he was not my like favorite candidate. He was not the guy that I envisioned would be president today. Uh, But I certainly am glad that he's not Donald Trump. But I think for me, I have to continually remind myself that in this excitement, I can get lost in that excitement. And I have to keep reminding myself that we have a lot of work to do and that we're going to have to keep pushing Biden and Kamala to be um, the most progressive version of themselves that they can be. Mm-hmm. And that's why that line from that poem, like that's all, that every, everything I just said is like everything that came through my mind when I heard that line. Like it's a past that we have to repair. Mm-hmm. And I love that poem so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, she told the New York Times in 2017 that in 2036, she was going to be the president or she was going to run for president. So uh, mark your calendars. 2036, <laughs> we are all voting for Amanda Gorman, apparently. Yeah. She said in the poem, she said that the future vice president's on the stage. I was uh-huh. like, yes, girl, yes. <laughs> I mean, I would love to watch her just be the president. Every single time the news was on and she was talking, I would be like, oh, amazing. This is beautiful. Um, so let's let's get a little bit more wonky, shall we? So the Biden administration, unlike the previous administration, has been really clear about goals and has GASP uh, written out how they plan on achieving said goals instead of just saying shit and then lying about having done it. 
Um, a plan. It's called a plan. A pound. P a plan. Plan. P l a n. Plan. There's like a plan. Cool. Okay. So they've got plans. Um, Alyssa, what of Biden's plans makes you the most excited? And which of his plans do you think are in the national interest most important? Well, I think for all of us right now, the number one thing is that we need to let him get his hands around the COVID situation. 400,000 people, uh, more than 400,000 people now have died since last January um, from COVID. And if there is one thing, like I appreciate that Mike Pence showed up today. That's great. Doesn't really exonerate them from any of the fucking bullshit of the past four years, but specifically about COVID. So I think there are plans to get 100 million people vaccinated in their first 100 days is so important. And the the thing to you that I just, as someone who walked into the West Wing on the very first day of Barack Obama's presidency, only to have, we had protesters within like the first three weeks outside and we're like, we barely know where the bathrooms are. Can't you got us a break? Is that I also, while I do, we have to hold everyone accountable. I do think that we want them to set ambitious goals and they may fall a little short, but I think that if they got to like 90 million vaccinations, that we should still be stoked because right now we're at like 15 million um, and we were supposed to be by like 40 or 50 at this point. So I think that for us in the national interest of their plans, the most important thing that they can do in the next uh, couple of hundred days, let's say the first hundred days is figuring out what Operation Warp Speed was actually fucking doing and maybe give it a better name. Um, (laughs) Getting people vaccinated, figuring out uh, the financial relief. It's it's the relief that people need. It's the survival package, not the thriving package. Um, So they need to get people money ASAP in their bank accounts. They need to figure out something to do with rent because moratoriums don't mean anything if people just have a big fucking bill at the end that they can't pay. Mm-hmm. And so I think those things that are on their agenda are very, very good. And I feel like they have a lot of really good partners uh, in Congress. And I think even Mitch McConnell's like, I'm not saying he's a new person. I'm saying that being the center of a siege two weeks ago may have made him realize that Certain things he's doing are not working for him. So I'm hopeful that they can get some of that stuff passed. And their series of executive actions, which they are going to plow through today, reversing tons of shit that Trump did, like the Muslim travel ban, like uh, environmental regulations, things that are so stupid. Aaron and I have talked about this a hundred times. Please make it illegal once again to shoot hibernating bears for sport, you fucking pieces of shit. What a... Dumb ass, like, do you, did they watch Disney movies? Did the Trumps watch Disney movies and say, oh yeah, it's the hunters are the good guys. No, the hunters are <laughs> never the good guys. It They're is. never. Not like, when the fucking bear's asleep and you lure it out with bacon. Asleep. What the that fuck? Is a, that isn't even sporting. Look, I don't like bear hunting, period. But at least when the bear's awake, the bear has a shot. Like, good and you Lord. could die. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, We're also rejoining the Paris Climate Accord, which, thank God. And I also am looking forward to not having our leader being uh, looked at like a uh, piece of dog poop on the bottom of a dress shoe whenever he goes to international summits. I think that'll be nice to no longer be embarrassed. Kieran, 
It is it is crazy. Like globally, it's insane how how much the president affects everyone else on on the planet. Like everyone, like my mom, when the Capitol thing was was happening, she was like, don't they know that the world is watching? Because the world really does watch American politics. What we do as a nation affects literally everyone else in the world. Our policies affect everyone else. And the only people who get to vote are citizens of this country, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, it's a, it'll be nice because we are in the middle of the pandemic. That's the other thing. It's like, this is the, we are in the straight up middle. And so it's like, maybe the reason that I was the only one who wasn't crying is because it's like, I'm real tired. Half mm-hmm. my building does not, like half of my building is unemployed in Los Angeles. Like our landlord is putting a ton of pressure on everyone to pay rent. Like you can you can truly feel the stress of just people not having money. Like straight mm-hmm. up, it's just people don't have money. That is mm-hmm. massive. And most people who have access to a microphone in this country do have money is the thing. And so there's a massive disconnect between people who are truly, truly struggling, which is a lot of fucking people, dude. Like it's a lot of people um, on on rent in terms of that $2,000 versus that 600 in terms of the unemployment fraud that kicked, you know, however many millions of Californians off of unemployment in December, in terms of those delays in getting like, you know, in terms of getting that money. And it's like, you want to stay COVID safe, but in a country like Britain, which also has done a terrible job in many ways, when you get furloughed, you get 80% of your salary, right? And it's not a question. It's not, you know, it's not a question. So like I, the, the speed with which a federal government and the speed with which like state governments in that trickle down are going to be able to reverse and start to fix that. I am very eager and curious to see what that looks like because of the way it's affected me personally, because of the way it's affected so many of the people that I know personally, because it's, it's, you haven't even, I I feel like I haven't even had time to be angry because it's been such a deluge of bullshit with so little relief. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now I'm expressing my rage. Thank you so much. (laughs) You sounded very calm for as rightfully angry as you would be about those things. Um, On behalf of so many people, on behalf of so many people, mm -hmm. right? It's Yeah. Julissa, what are your thoughts about the the goals of the first 100 days agenda? Well, I think this will come at no surprise that one of the things I'm most excited about is the immigration um, the immigration reform bill, uh, the executive actions that will undo so much of the harm that the Trump administration inflicted on immigrants, the, um, the real effort that I think will be underway to reunite the children that were torn apart from their families. Um, and, you know, when I read that, like, I, I do want to, you know, again, like the, the, the devil's in the details, right? So it's about, um, okay, these families are going to be reunited, but where, you know, like I think the parents should be able to mm. come to the U S to be reunited with their children and they should be able to, um, be free while their asylum uh, applications are being processed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the immigration reform bill is going to be about um, who does it uh, include and who does it leave out because inevitably people will be left out of that bill, right? But it's like, how do we minimize that number of people? Um, but again, like I'm excited that these are the conversations we're having. We're having a conversation about 
what is the broadest, biggest immigration reform bill that we can have versus versus feeling like we were always just trying to stop the carnage of like, what's the next awful, evil thing that is going to come out of the administration? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're having conversations about policy, like real policy, not just, you know, uh, doing policy by tweets, but like real debate about uh, what is in the best interest of people, uh, what is going to help the most people. I'm excited to see um, immigrants and undocumented immigrants be included in that COVID relief package, because I think it's absolutely insane that farm workers who are feeding us, who are keeping America going, Uh, many of them have not been eligible for any kind of COVID relief. Um, You know, if they get sick, they don't get paid. And so many times if they had symptoms, they were still going to work because they have to feed their families. And what does that do, right? That just spreads the virus more and more because people have to do what they have to do to feed their families. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to all of those things developing and those conversations that we're going to have in the next in the next few weeks and months, and you know, when it comes to immigration, the Biden the Biden team, um, you know, in in the past few weeks has been in really close touch with immigration activists, with immigrant organizations, to really have a conversation about um, what do they want to see. And so, the fact that those questions are being asked and that they're being asked of the right people that gives me hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like if America were a human body, like for the last four years, we were like trying to heal a broken bone or like we were like bleeding. We're like trying to stop the bleeding. And for the next four years, we can train for a 5K. You know, like Mm -hmm. we can do something that's proactive and about and about building and bettering ourselves rather than just being like, fuck, 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 fuck. I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. So, Mm. I mean, I'm hopeful that I'm hopeful that, you know, when it comes to issues of healthcare, which is tied into a lot of things that other people have brought up. Obviously, the COVID issue is healthcare related um, and unemployment and and, uh, economic insecurity that people are experiencing as a result of the pandemic is also healthcare related. And, you know, not being able to feed your family if you're not going, if you're sick, also healthcare related. I'm really hoping that um, there are progressives in Biden's ear who can really like as quickly as possible get us moved to a point where healthcare isn't something that is like exorbitantly expensive even when it's good and still doesn't mm-hmm. cover anything like um like I'm asthmatic and I have uh there's a pill that my insurance I have good insurance very good insurance there's a pill that I could take once a day that would help me breathe and about a year ago, my insurance was like, no, you don't need that pill. So my doctor would prescribe it. I would go to pick it up at the pharmacy. They'd be like, that's $150. And I'm not going to pay $150 a month for a pill. But my insurance company decided I didn't need it. So now as a result, I have to take an inhaler several times a day because my insurance company will not cover the thing that my doctor says I need. Like, I know that that's just a, that's a minor single person's complaint, but I think that a lot of people, I've never talked to a single person who has no complaints about the way the healthcare system works in this country. It is unbelievably fucked up and it shouldn't be. <laughs> like there is no reason for it to be this fucked up. Um, so yep. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we make strides toward addressing that in addition to all the things that Biden is trying to accomplish in his first 100 days. I hope Bernie's secret plan to like make COVID care free for everybody actually matriculates to the top. Alyssa's putting her hand over her heart. 
<laughs> because first of all, can we just give the burn a shout out for today? That man fucking showed up in his jacket and his little mittens and everyone started making fun of him. And I was like, are you kidding me? First of all, if bon- Bernie showed up in some sort of fancy coat, we'd be like, he's lost the plot. Like what's going on? <laughs> but no, it's the tr- it's true. It's like on the one hand, we have to be, look, there is a lot for the Biden team to clean up from the last four years. Yeah. Um, so, so much, much for them to clean up. up. At the same time, I mean, I am as, I am as privileged as I can be. My healthcare is fucking garbage. I pay $2,000 a month for something I literally can't use. There are currently no doctors who are accepting patients that take my health care. And as empathetic as the poor person who had to deal with me at said insurance company was, they're like, we literally can't help you. And I broke down. I was like, I just spent two hours on the phone with you. Like no Americans can spend two hours on the phone with you trying to figure this out. So I really do hope there has to be some sort of let Bernie in there. Let Bernie yeah. in there to do the healthcare. Let Just give Bernie it to and him. his mittens in there. Look, if people are criticizing the way Bernie looked at the inauguration, you can have a man who can light a wood stove with one match, or you can yeah. have a man who doesn't wear goofy knit mittens to the inauguration, but you can't have both. It's also, a package deal. I don't know. He's just very pragmatic to me. It was exactly. chilly. There was snow. He had fucking mittens on. Okay, let him do the healthcare. Everybody knows mittens work better than gloves anyway. Gloves look very stylish, but they don't keep your fingers warm. No, they don't. You know when you were saying, like, I've never talked to someone who's, like, happy with their healthcare. If you would have talked to me, like, 10 years ago when I was working at Goldman, you, I would have been like, healthcare is amazing. I could go see any doctor anytime, didn't need any referrals. I paid $10 for my uh, psoriasis spray that it, now I paid $400 for, even though I make a lot less money now than I did before. And it's like the people who have the most have to pay the least, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of like mm-hmm. their co-pays and stuff. And, and it's so fucking backwards. And I think every single person in this country deserves a kind of healthcare that I used to have when I worked at Goldman because that shit was amazing. Like literally I could go I could call the doctor right now. Like any, I could go see a, a neurosurgeon if I wanted to without a referral just because I had a headache. You'd be like, like cut my brain up. <laughs> I work at Goldman. Like, I have a headache. I need to go see a neurosurgeon. Like, tell me what's up. And, 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 and you know, now I, now I see like the total opposite of that. You know, now mm-hmm. I can go see a doctor. I have to wait like months and months. One day, maybe I will share more details about this, but like I've had to go to Mexico for some healthcare stuff uh, in the middle of this pandemic because I just can't afford it in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And that's fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, that is ridiculous. And that really needs to be addressed. Like healthcare is a human right and we should all have access to it. And mm-hmm. Period on that. And before I forget, we also have to address the student loan debt crisis. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I don't, I thankfully don't have any student loans, but my husband does, my brother does, like other people I know does. And it really is like a huge, huge, huge burden. Mm-hmm. And I think it should just all be forgiven. All of it, just forgive let, it. Let Elizabeth Warren in there. Let Bernie in there. Let Elizabeth Warren in there. Warren has been saying for months and months, and she said on this very show that the Secretary of Education can eliminate a lot of student loan debt just with a stroke of a pen. Yes. And I say, and, and I say, you know what? If there's going to be court challenges, I think I think we do it. 
I think we should do it. <laughs> and then if there's going to be court challenges, let Republicans come down on the side of you should owe these people 80 grand for something that you completed 10 years ago. You know, I, I just think that it's a, it's a can't lose situation. But you guys, we have to end this segment, the, the hopeful segment. It feels so energizing to talk about like ideas and like goals. And, and what's co- possible. And what's possible rather than worrying about what's possible. And even out of the things we've discussed, which are like healthcare, which affects 100% of people, we didn't even get to BLM. We didn't get to climate change. It's like mm-hmm. he says all of these things. In, he said in his speech, we got to do this. We got to do this. It's like, it's a list. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, and mm-hmm. it's, and the irony, it's like, it's all so important. Like, it's all so important. And it's like, mm-hmm. you say first COVID and then, but it's like in the social justice and immigrants, it's, it's so so, I mean, obviously we could do a whole podcast, like you could do a podcast for a week on like all the, all the shit that needs fixing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like you guys have seen that gif of that woman who is trying to figure out a math problem and the like, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> that when I think about all of the things that the, the Biden administration is taking on, I see them as all very interconnected, like reproductive justice, uh, economic justice, immigration reform, um, racial justice, all of them are connected. And, and like, you can't just seek out one without also taking the others with you. So it's like a huge undertaking, but it's like all of these pieces fit into a larger scheme. And I really, really wish the Biden administration well. I'm really rooting for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a great conversation. We have to take a quick break. But when we come back, Alyssa and I chatted with Madeline Dean, representative from Pennsylvania's 4th District, about what's to come in the impeachment process. Yeah, impeachment is still going on. So stick around. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. 
<laughs> not not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's ultimate sampler pack. That's seven IQ bars, four IQ mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Today, we are thrilled to welcome Representative Madeline Dean. She's a second-term Democrat serving Pennsylvania's 4th District. She currently serves on the House Judiciary Committee and Committee on Financial Services, both very important committees. And just last week, Nancy Pelosi named her as one of the nine impeachment managers who will serve as prosecutors in the Senate impeachment trial of our now-twice-impeached future former president. If you're listening to this on Thursday, he is our former president, Donald Trump. No pressure. Welcome, Madeline Dean. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to join you both. So can you walk us through what it means to be an impeachment manager? Thank you for asking. Uh, It's a really solemn honor. I I find it to be just a high responsibility for this incredibly sad time in our country's history. And so uh, when I got the call from Speaker Pelosi on my cell phone, as I was waiting in line for a rapid test, I was uh, stunned and, and just completely honored. Mad. In one of my favorite bad movies that I made Aaron watch, Armageddon, when the NASA guys, the NASA guys are explaining to the oil drillers what it's going to be like, what the environment on the asteroid's going to be like, uh, Owen Wilson replies, got it, got it, scariest environment imaginable. This to me is what it feels like to be an impeachment manager. You are putting yourself out there in a polarized and dangerous political world. One of the most memorable photos from January 6th is of you in your bio-warfare hood making your way out of the House chamber. A recent CNN poll says 47% of Republicans still want to treat Trump as their president. Did any of that, which I'm sure you all know, uh, give you any pause before making the decision to accept Speaker Pelosi's offer? No, and this may say something about me. I had no hesitation, none whatsoever. I feel such an urgency to complete our constitutional duties here. Uh, You're right. We are in a a world, I'm looking out at the Capitol here. It just is, it's unthinkable where we have come in four years and, of course, where we've come in uh, two or three weeks. But I didn't hesitate for a moment. Uh, My family, you know, my son, uh, they worry for me. Uh, but they too didn't hesitate. Uh, they said, this is, a, this is the job you must do. Uh, you're called to do it. Uh, and uh, so I, I really didn't take any pause. I also took confidence, number one, that Speaker Pelosi asked me, and that number two, she put together a team with Jamie Raskin. He's just an extraordinary person, an extraordinary human being, uh, a friend and a colleague from before I got to Congress. Uh, so I didn't have any hesitation. I really would be much more uncomfortable not acting than acting. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never heard anybody speak ill of Jamie Raskin ever. He must be a really, really awesome guy. So can you walk me through what, like, you and Congressman Raskin and the rest of the impeachment managers 
do when you are working as impeachment managers? Like, what is the actual on-the-ground job like? Well, uh, you know now we're working in preparation, so I can't tell you anything about the trial preparation. But what our solemn duty is to literally uh, process uh, and take the article of impeachment, which the House passed, uh, over to the Senate to begin the clock to start the trial. Uh, So we as impeachment managers, there are nine of us, uh, are a team of lawyers who will prosecute the case. Uh, I'd like Mm -hmm. to explain to people that the uh, impeachment is the indictment. Uh, What we have to do now is try the case. And certainly we are trying the case to the American public, but you know that the jurors are actually the entire Senate. 100 senators are the jurors. So it's a most unusual time in our history because these jurors are jurors, They are elected senators. They're also victims of this crime, uh, as were all of the members of the House, as were members of the press, frankly, and the staff. Uh, So uh, we are literally, we are uh, the the prosecutors in the case. We will put on the case and make the arguments. Okay. So here's a crazy sentence. What are the main differences between last year's impeachment and this one? So Republicans have, have criticized the process and they've said it's rushed, which is ironic considering what they did with RBG's seat. What do you say to that? And finally, even though the trial won't be happening until after Biden's inaugurated, why do you think having a sense of urgency is important here? Well, I didn't think I'd ever be on a podcast with you talking about a uh, armed insurrection of the Capitol. That seems like something out of some fantasy uh, script that probably would have been rejected. Uh, So the urgency of the moment is that we actually had a president uh, incite insurrection, incite a, a challenge to our very seat of government. And he, he knew he was uh, lighting the match, lighting the fuse, uh, and sent that mob up Pennsylvania Avenue. And what people need to know is he didn't do it on any day of the week. It wasn't like come to Washington, D.C. for your class field trip. He chose and called that mob to the White House on January the 6th. That is a day that is extraordinarily different from any other. It is the day when we're there in a joint session. I was really looking forward to it, but for the challenges uh, that would come forward because I knew it was an important historic day. So it's a joint session, House and Senate were all there and his very own vice president was there. He knew exactly what he was doing. The urgency is we have to make sure uh, that the world recognizes we see his extraordinary, grotesque high crimes and misdemeanors. To your question of why do it, he's going to be out of office, you know, in another few hours, thank the good Lord. Uh, The (laughs) reason to do it is, number one, that he be held accountable. If you don't hold a president accountable from day one of his responsibilities to day last, and that means today and literally into tomorrow morning, what does that say? It says to future leaders, you can go on a crime spree. Hey, Attempt a coup in your last couple of weeks and you'll be gone or you'll succeed in the coup or you'll be gone uh, and they can't do anything to you. The framers of the Constitution recognized the danger even once one was out of office. That's why they put in there uh, that you could uh, be prohibited from holding office again. So the urgency is now the, the uh, due process will be given. A trial is where you can make an argument about due process. Um, and so... Uh, the world witnessed what took place here. So we have to know, will you be attending the inauguration this week? Thank you for asking. And I have to admit, I thought long and hard about it. Um, 
if you know anything about me, I'm a, a, a nerd and and we used to drag our three then little boys to Washington, D.C. weekend after weekend. And I took them to different inaugurations, Republican and uh, Democratic. Uh, I've never had the chance to go to an inauguration uh, as a member of Congress, uh, but I really did think about it. And after talking to my family, I decided I'll stay back. Hmm. I have a lot of work to do, and I think I'm better off just focusing on my task ahead, mm-hmm. my historic role as an impeachment manager. Uh, and there'll be other terrific members of Congress there, and one fewer person to worry about might be good for security. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear members of Congress talk about having trepidation about attending the event. I heard Congressman Ryan from Ohio express similar sentiments. He wasn't sure he was going to go. And yeah. really, I never would have thought we were living in a time where this was a question. It's it's sad. We were all offered, because of the pandemic, we knew in advance it would be a limited uh, swearing-in inauguration. We were all offered a single ticket. So I had invited my daughter-in-law, Stephanie. She's a new mommy, uh, Pat's wife. Congrats, by the way. Congrats <laughs> on being a grandma. Uh, thank you. Thank you. We're very blessed. Uh, and so uh, she had worked uh, by text and by telephone and through the internet on the campaign. So I said, Stephanie, I would be honored if you would go with me. Uh, but I have to tell you, about two weeks ago, I withdrew that invitation. I said, Stephanie, if I do go, I would never want you there. Yeah, I don't want to risk anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. So if you're anything like me, you had a whole sector of your brain devoted to anxiety about what our stupid, dangerous president was going to do next. So what do you plan to do once your mental real estate that was reserved for Trump is vacated? So post, uh, I guess, post-impeachment trial for you, what are you most looking forward to thinking about in place of that anxiety? And what are you looking forward to in a post-Trump Democratic-controlled government? Boy, I haven't given myself the luxury of thinking about the post-Trump trauma. Uh, (laughs) I I do think we actually will have to take a, a mental account Uh, People have talked to me about being in the attack on the Capitol. Be mindful of sort of PTSD and speak to people who know something about that. Uh, I have thought for a couple of years now, we're struggling with the trauma of uh, Donald Trump and the chaos that he is. And so what I think I've begun to think about is uh, the chance, the extraordinary chance to speak positively, to write positively, instead of saying, don't you see how serious and grave this condition is in our body politic? Uh, But to be able to work with Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, uh, a Democratic-led Senate, uh, and our continuing majority in the House, I hope I allow myself to think of brighter days and positive things we can do. Um, I'm excited that some of the legislation that we passed in the 116th Congress whether it was uh, gun violence legislation, equal rights, voting rights, George Floyd justice and policing, environmental stuff, women's rights. I, I can't wait for us to do that all again and send it to a Senate that might actually do its job <laughs> and consider the legislation and pass some of it and get it over to Biden. Uh, so I, I think mentally it will take a lot of adjusting, but I, I look forward to that adjustment. Same here. <laughs> what are you going to do? Here. Tell me what you're going to do. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I found myself, I'm, I'm a comedy writer when I'm not doing this. And I 
realize that I can make jokes again about things that aren't the president. <laughs> like I'm so excited to being being able to make an observation about my life and not have it all tie back into this cloud of dread. So I think I'm going to make jokes about stuff that isn't topical. I can't wait. Can't wait to make dumb jokes again. Well, you know, Aaron, healing uh, comes from humor. So I look forward to using that skill, that beautiful talent uh, as a balm <laughs> of healing uh, that we laugh in the upcoming days for brighter things. What about you, Alyssa? What are you going to do? Oh, well, as Aaron knows, I mean, for so long, the thing for me I think that's been like the most funny slash frustrating is how since Trump became president, reporters can't lose my number to be like, no, wait a minute, Alyssa, how is this supposed to work? And I was like, you didn't care when I was actually doing the job in the White House. <laughs> but hopefully, you know, the thing that I do hope that people take away from this is how important certain processes and protocols and things that people always kind of mocked before, like sort of where there is a place for them and why doing things maybe sometimes the way they've been done matters. Yeah. Um, no, but for me, I just think I'm going to keep making jam and doing podcasts. I've picked up a lot of habits <laughs> since since COVID. So hopefully we can all just get vaccinated and figure out what it is we really do do in this world anymore. <laughs> Yeah, Alyssa and I can go back to texting each other photos of our cats. And sometimes podcasting in person. What? Yes. We're going to hug at we're some gonna point. We're going to hug. And we're not even huggers. <laughs> no, we hate hugging. I'm a huge hugger. You can't believe when we were still meeting in our office building and it got, it became clearer and clearer every day that my staff implored me, Mad, you cannot hug. Then it got to, Mad, you can't even shake hands. And I, I I can't wait till we can go back to hugging. I'm a huge hugger. <laughs> You're going to go on a spree. Oh, There's going to be like a CNN aerial camera of a <laughs> mad congresswoman just hugging people left and right. She just cannot be stopped. Well, that'll be a welcome, a welcome difference in the scenes we're seeing yes. now. Congresswoman Madeline Dean, thank you so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun, and I am looking forward to brighter days ahead, too. Thank you both for having me. It's a real pleasure and an honor, and uh, my family says hello. Coming up, as promised, we're going to be assholes about the biggest assholes to ever inhabit the White House. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. And welcome back. So, uh, as promised, we're going to be assholes in this segment, right? Okay. So, I'm going to tell you a little story. And I swear to God, I'm not doing a Rachel Maddow impression. <laughs> there is... <laughs> a popular satirical conspiracy theory in Germany that says that the city of Bielefeld doesn't actually exist. And the reason that this satirical conspiracy theory works is uh, if you ask somebody these three questions, the answer is usually no. So question one, do you know anybody from Bielefeld? Two, have you ever been to Bielefeld? Three, do you know anybody who has ever been to Bielefeld? No. So the theory is, because you don't know this, it, the city doesn't exist. It's so well-known in German culture that Angela Merkel has joked about it, about the city not existing. And a few years back, the city, which has more than 340,000 residents and definitely exists, 
offered a 1 million euro reward for proof that it didn't exist. (laughs) That's how annoyed the residents of this town are uh, by this like very funny German joke that is like an ongoing like cultural inside joke, which I and also an oxymoron. German jokes are few and far between. Exactly. Just thinking that I have German family and And I'm German. Humor is just not, it's just not what they do. Well, they put all their energy into this like atomic level joke, which I think is <laughs> so fucking funny, um, especially because there's 340,000 people who live there. It is a large town. And they're like, nope, not real. Okay, the reason I'm bringing up this joke is because I think that we can employ similar mechanisms in Hysteria's first ever disinformation campaign, which is Melania Trump doesn't exist. One, have any of you (laughs) met Melania Trump? No. No. Have you seen Melania Trump in person? No. 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 Do you know anybody who knows Melania Trump? Allegedly. (laughs) She doesn't exist. Melania (laughs) Trump doesn't exist. Um, There was no first lady for the last four years. It's a lie. The Melania Trump is the new big lie. Tell your friends. She doesn't exist. She never existed. Okay. Who? No. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So while Biden has pledged unity, um, I kind of still have some lingering anger about what we just went through. And I would really love to hear from everybody who is here today about which member of the Trump administration in particular should fuck off forever. So Let's give a telling off for the ages for the person in the outgoing White House that you think deserves it the most. Julissa, let's start with you. All right, here I go. Stephen Voldemort Miller is the (laughs) most vile, evil, ugliest pendejo to walk this earth. That's asshole for those of you that don't speak Spanish. (laughs) He's been obsessed with raining hell on Latino immigrants since I imagine, I've conjured this whole thing in my mind. A super hot Latina dated him as a joke and then (laughs) dumped him. And I'm really going to need that girl to come out and tell us what she did to him because we know that he has not processed that shit in therapy. Miller was the architect for some of the most detrimental policies during the Trump horror, from the Muslim ban, family separation, to the public charge rule, which effectively punished people for being poor. But, I mean, what can we expect from a guy who, before hitting puberty, was getting hard-ons from listening to right-wing radio? I mean, (laughs) this guy uh, was a guy who broke up with a friend in middle school because of his, quote, Latino heritage. So if we really think about it, though, Miller or Trump were perfect for each other. Miller can't write a speech, and Trump can't read a speech. (laughs) How can we ever forget the a crisis of the heart and a crisis of the soul line from that terrible speech. They are both sociopath racists who are obsessed with Mexicans, but who can ever get a Mexican or get Mexicans to pay for their shit. Mexico never did pay for that wall. (laughs) But in all seriousness, we have to make sure that Miller is unemployable from this day forward. His career has gone far enough from working with John Shadegg 
to working for Jeff Sessions, another xenophobe, and making it all the way to the White House. There will sure be another Republican willing to hire him, willing to accept his corny, repetitive, unbearable writing with lines like towering legacy of achievement. <laughs> Stephen Miller, fuck off forever. A la chingada. Adios forever. <laughs> wow, Julissa, you kicked him right in the writings. That's so good. That hurt him bad. That hurts. <laughs> that really, really hurts. Kicks him right in the right. I writing. hate that guy. He's, uh, <laughs> I wish, I just really, I do really wish he goes away forever. He's, he's such a little piece of shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is, you know, in his defense though, he also completely lacks charisma um, and uh, is deeply unappealing and appears to be covered in oil. Like a kind yeah, of thin, translucent, like a olive oil, but like rotten. If olive oil could go bad, that he just mm. kind of seems oily. He's an oily man. Um, he's, okay, yeah, he's the worst, and I don't know how anybody ever married him, ever. And I have to say, in some of the pictures of their family, like that baby looks brown. That baby looks a little brown, and I'm like, I hope that baby grows up to be a brown, like. Well, no, I don't hope that baby turns out to be a white person who pretends to be brown because uh, we have enough of those in the world. But <laughs> I do hope that baby grows up to be like the most liberal person in the whole white world. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, I just was realizing as you were talking about white people pretending to be brown, I know that Spain isn't considered brown, but I was thinking Joe Biden appointing Hilaria Baldwin to, as ambassador to Spain would be very funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was so bummed I couldn't take part of that conversation at the, uh, on the pod last week, but I was listening to you girls talk about it, and I was like, man, I wish I was there to tell Hilaria. <laughs> from Mallorca. Um, Massachusetts. Mallorca, Massachusetts. <laughs> um, Kieran, who in the Trump era would you like to fuck off forever? First, I appreciate that, Erin, you started the segment by saying, I want to revenge. You just, you, you just straight up, you're just straight up like, I want revenge. I want revenge. I want to revenge on all the people. I'm horny for it. I am horny for revenge and I'm not ashamed of my revenge horniness. I'm sorry. Your, your revenge, you're just the revenge, the fan, the fantasy of revenge, the mm -hmm. fantasy, the fantasy of it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's Donald. I mean, listen, man, he's, uh, he's moving to Florida. He's taking the plan and I'm here now, I I deleted my very last draft of him from, you know, like your tweets ever. And it was the 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 wave of relief, just the wave of relief that that kind of that kind of washed over me was um was something I think a lot of people in this country are experiencing right now. It's like he came in talking of carnage. He left literally having created exactly that carnage as the lowest polling president of all time when he left office. Um, I feel like he should go eat a taco bowl while staring straight into the sun and calling COVID Kofifi um, <laughs> and inject some bleach straight into his veins while ranting about the fake news. You know, it's like you tried to ban Muslims and you're the first president to have a true hand in getting white people banned from planes. I mean, it's a, it's a slow <laughs> clap moment. 
It's like from your monosyllabic vocabulary to your dangerous racism and misogyny to that time that you met Kanye West in your office for no goddamn good reason. I just, I truly, truly, truly hope you stay dark on the internet and that people throw cuties and grapefruits and oranges at you when you golf. Yes. Donald Trump, (laughs) fuck off forever. That is a Florida curse, if I've ever heard a Florida curse. Thank you so much. I hope that citrus is thrown at you while golfing. That is- I hope that- it is my it is my wish. Yes. Um, so Kieran, as a Floridian, okay, so Donald Trump, all the places that he's lived are places that really cannot stand him. Like New York City, Manhattan fucking hates Donald Trump. Do you think that Trump moving to Florida will deliver Florida to Democrats in 2024? I am always, look, everyone is always shitting on Florida. Everyone is always shitting on Florida. Always, always shitting on Florida. And I truly, 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 truly believe that Florida absolutely has the ability to truly be a swing state. I'm not Alyssa. I don't know as much about politics, but I've I've lived here for a long time. I know that all of South Florida is incredibly liberal. It's where the vast majority of the population is. And I know how close it is. I know how close the race is every, every time. The, the race is always like, it's like this. It really is like this. And if Georgia can flip with Stacey Abrams, you know, and that kind of like in a, in a very progressive agenda that takes place and is like boots on the ground now, yes, I do believe that Florida could flip. I, I've, I've always thought that Florida, Florida should is, is a swing state. It also has one of the most electoral votes in the country. You know, like it's a. Anyway, I could go on about this. If we flip Florida, it's like over. It becomes blue. It's just like you guys are never going to be the president. You know, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally, it's shitty. I think it's because I'm from Florida. I've always been like, why is anyone focusing on any other state? This mm-hmm. is the only one that matters, <laughs> which is not very, not very unite, not very united of me at all. I guess it's a very Florida opinion. This is the only one that matters. <laughs> it sounds like a real Texas opinion in my uh-huh. very you. Texas-y. Um, <laughs> but Texas is kind of true, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Texans. Um, Alyssa, how much shit do you think the Trump stole from the White House on the way out? You know what? <laughs> I bet they didn't steal anything because they're such tacky motherfuckers that anything that had any historical value, they would have been like, you can keep it. It's old. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. They got to disinfect everything. I mean, if they took stuff, those are fewer objects for the disinfectors to clean. That's Since true. They were That's in there true. just being germy and gross in the White House for You know, when they left, when they left in the helicopter, it's like, I know that they don't have to, like, because you're so rich, you don't have to carry your own luggage, but there would have been something so satisfying about, you know, there's something so satisfying about watching someone carrying the suitcase or holding the suitcase. I just wanted, I just wanted a couple bags, guys. I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that he was like, have a nice life like that. Yes. <laughs> it's like that is a, that is like the most petty thing you say after a breakup. Like, right. have a nice life. Well, it's like when you're the one. It's like when you're the one on the lawn with your clothes that have gotten thrown out of the third uh-huh. floor window at you. Yeah. And you're like, have a nice life. It's like yeah. you just, dude, go, go. I threw yeah. you out. You're out of here. Yep. Um, Alyssa, who in the Trump administration would you like to fuck off forever? Okay. I think this is not going to come as much a surprise, but 
Ivanka girl, I need mm. you to fuck off forever. Forever. Mm. You burned me. You know why she burned me? Because I actually thought she wasn't a piece of shit. I actually in 2016 mm. said out loud on a podcast that if Donald Trump were able to pick her for vice president, it would be compelling. Not better than Hillary, but compelling. But Ivanka, I'm talking to you directly now. You've spent the last four years making a mockery of issues women have fought long and hard for. You lacked for any and all self-awareness or were just malevolently stupid when you put foreign leaders in awkward positions to have to listen to you opine on issues you were ill-equipped to discuss. You misunderstood you were nothing but fucking staff. You posted pics hugging your kids as we were learning that you and your father separated hundreds of kids from their parents and kept them in cages where they have been for years. And the fact that after 400,000 people have died because of your catastrophic mismanagement of the response to this pandemic, you still think you'll be the first woman president. You are delusional, but please enjoy primarying Marco Rubio because I'm actually here for that trashy cage match. And let me just say, Ivanka, one of the greater injustices of this administration was that Samantha Bee paid any price for calling you a feckless cunt, which by its very definition is exactly what you are. Hmm. Ivanka Trump, fuck off forever. Wow. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> she she sucks. Um, and, and you know what I think is really interesting. Alyssa, you talked about this. She's got like mediocre white man confidence. And that it's really disturbing to see it in somebody who should Mediocre white man confidence is a type of confidence nobody should have. It's not like one of those achievements that we should be like, let's have that. No, it is a bad thing that men have and that we should get rid of. Um, But Ivanka has mediocre (laughs) white man confidence. Okay. So I'm going to go. Okay. So I know I'm supposed to just pick one person. But I didn't because it's my show and I can just break rules whenever I want. Um, So I was supposed to pick one person, but it was really hard because I truly think everybody who supported Donald Trump should fuck off forever. But I want to take a moment to single out a particular category of Trump boosters who get a special flavor of disdain from me. And that category is all of the women who served as his mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. Kellyanne Conway, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Kajurston Nielsen, Hope Hicks. Kaylee McEnany, and Stephen Miller's evil little toad of a wife. All of the women I listed carried water for and spewed the lies of Donald Trump without batting a tacky, glued-on eyelash. They fucking lied. They lied about what we were doing to migrant families. They lied about voter fraud that didn't exist. They lied about plans that didn't exist. They tried to smear President Biden's family. They lied about election results that eventually led to an armed insurrection. And they lied about the lies that they lied. Is it fair I'm singling out women that Trump kept close to him? Absolutely. And here's why. I don't have high expectations for white Republican men to develop empathy with people who have faced any hardship at all. I've totally given up on them. Basically, if something doesn't affect them personally, I don't expect them to understand why it matters. But being a woman, especially a woman who's given birth, should give a person built-in empathy for others like them. To overcome a shared experience with a person in order to champion policies that hurt them requires, like, active evil. You have to work to unsee the humanity of the people you're oppressing. Fuck you for that. I consider all of you traitors. All of you can fuck right off forever. Not because you're women, but because you're fucking ghouls 
and you cannot sit with us. I want your hairstylist to passive-aggressively fuck up your haircuts and dye jobs. I hope that you have recurring nightmares about the harm you've done. And I hope your children grow up to be good enough people to hate you. Shame on you all. Every woman who told lies on behalf of Donald Trump, fuck off forever. And I yield my time back. (laughs) Very good. Um, Yes. Yeah, I just, I can't stand it when, when women are like, it's like, you, you should know better. What are you doing? You know? Mm-hmm. Okay. With that, I think we have to take a quick break. Do you guys have anything else to add in the fuck off forever? <laughs> no, Trump? it felt good. I was going to say one quick thing about Ivanka Trump, if I may. Uh, Ivanka Trump, I met her um, at this Forbes thing and, uh she tweeted out about my story when my story came out about having been undocumented and she tweeted it and she said how much she loved the story of an undocumented immigrant. And um, maybe like six months later, Donald Trump announced his presidency with the whole, you know, Mexicans are rapists. And um, like you, Elisa, I once had a little bit of hope in Ivanka Trump that she would be a voice of reason, but she was just as much of a piece of shit ask her dad, if not worse, because she should have known better. So yes, fuck up forever. Mm-hmm. One of the things that does help me, Erin, um, with my rage when I feel very betrayed by people that I thought should have known better is that it's, it's, it's not that it's not that like just white men are garbage or, or just a particular kind of person is garbage. It's that all people have the ability to be garbage. Mm-hmm. All of us. All of us have the ability to be garbage. And sometimes, I don't know if that, but that comforts me. Like just to be like, <laughs> I'll, be like I'll be like, it's not, it's not men. It's people. It's people. Uh-huh. People can just be trash and they really mm-hmm. can. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the thing is, if you've had a shared experience with somebody, like let's say, you and I, uh, it catches you off guard. It catches you off guard when it's when there's right. a feeling of the shared experience. A hundred percent. Right. 100%. Like let's say I we understand. were we were in a rowboat together and the boat sank and we had to be rescued because the boat had like lax safety precautions. And then you got appointed to a job in government and act- actively worked against rowboat safety. I I would be like, the right. fuck, dude! You were in a <laughs> rowboat accident with me because the boats were bad. And then I'd be like, oh, I wish this bitch drowned. Ugh, woof. Now we gotta listen to this shit. And another thing. Um, Okay, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's have a much needed sanity corner. And welcome back. We have reached the part of the show where we tell you about the ways that we are staying sane. I think now that we're moving into an era of a new level of sanity, hopefully, uh, we won't need to cling to these little bright spots in our lives as hard anymore, but we'll see. You know, 2021 is pretty young and shit can still hit the fan. So let's talk about Sanity Corner. Um, Kieran, why don't you start? What's keeping you sane this week? I read a really um, wonderful book that I enjoyed immensely uh, called My Year of Rest and Relaxation um, that is a, a little bit old. It's been, it's been out for a couple of years by a wonderful author, My Year of Rest and Relaxation, that is about a girl who decides that she's gonna sleep for a year 
by enlisting a therapist to give her all kinds of pills, like a bad therapist, to just straight up knock her out and then come back to life rejuvenated. And it's crazy, guys. It's crazy. <laughs> it's a crazy book. It's fucking nuts. It's dope. It's so good. And she's so mean. I love it. I mean, she's mean <laughs> and it's she's just, oh, she's so mean and petty and the therapist is terrible. And it's it's very funny. It's mm-hmm. a it's very funny. So it's like the yellow wallpaper for a new generation. Yeah, and funny, and it's <laughs> funny. It's just so I, I'm all, I always really appreciate when an author is like, because she's so over everyone and everything. It doesn't get boring. I guess mm-hmm. is what I I was so impressed by, um, and maybe aspired to a little bit. Like I was just like, a whole <laughs> a whole a whole year to nap. Oh, <laughs> tell me more, you know. Yeah, the first thing I think about when I wake up every morning is whether or not I can take a nap that day. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. true because you already texted me naps. this morning about your nap. <laughs> I, did. I texted Alyssa at like five o'clock a.m. my time. I've been I've been up since three a.m. because I woke up both scared and uh, excited about the inauguration. And uh, yeah, I've been thinking about a nap since the moment I woke up, and I'm going to take one as soon as I'm done with this, guys. I'm ready. ready. Um, Alyssa, what is your uh, sanity corner for this week? Well, first, I'd like everyone to know my marmalades are coming out very nicely so far. Um, (laughs) But I have an even different 2020. I'm bringing a different sanity corner. And that is Pretend It's a City on Netflix with Fran Leibowitz and Mm -hmm. Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. It is, I have... uh, I have because it's not like, you know, when I watched the morning show or whatever that was, like in is every day it came out, I was like, oh my God, I'm pacing myself. And so I like do all my chores at night. I've done the dishes. I sit down, I put my feet up. I'm like, you know what? I've earned an episode. And it's mostly wonderful one, because if you miss New York City, it's a great just sort of like love letter to New York City. But also, if you watch it, you'll see that like when I heard that it was Fran Leibowitz and Martin Scorsese, I was like, mm, like I thought it would be good. But Martin Scorsese loves Fran Leibowitz so much that he just lets her be the fucking star. You barely see his glasses the whole time. And he, she cracks him up so much that you will crack up. You're going to be like, I want to love her as much as Marty loves her. So mm-hmm. anyway, I think it's a joy. And it's also one of these things that – really takes you through different parts of history in New York. Like the second episode is about the music and disco and it's fucking cool. It's it's really fun. That's awesome. That's been on my list. I love her. Uh, she's such a crab. I love, love people who are like hilariously crabby. She's aspirational. And awesome. She plays an awesome, uh, she does cameos on Law & Order. So, you know, I'm like, like when <laughs> when D, when the show came out, DK was like, "Oh wait, that's the one you love when she's the guest judge on Law and Order." I was like, "Exactly." <laughs> I love that. Um, okay, so my sanity corner for this week is another thing you can watch. And um, so I love children's movies. I think my taste in uh, media consumption ranges from extremely uh, macabre stuff about like murder and horribleness uh, to full on kid media. And uh, this week I watched Soul, which is Pixar, Disney Pixar's new movie. It stars Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey and Graham Norton. And it is, uh, I'm not quite sure what it's about. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little <laughs> bit too advanced for little kids. It's incredibly imaginative, 
really beautiful, um, and it sounds incredible. Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did the film score, and it's so cool. Like, I never would have thought Trent Reznor doing, like, a kid's movie film score, but it's it's a really, really cool movie. Um, it's it's kind of long for the type of movie it is, so if you just want to, like, settle in and be whisked away to a world of, like, wonder and and happiness and a thing that kind of reminds you about why it's great to be alive and how it's just kind of a miracle that any of us are people at all. Uh, it's definitely, it's definitely a good one. And if you have, uh, marijuana available to you, I would recommend, uh, <laughs> I would recommend, uh, partaking in that before, because just like, you know, sometimes you just want to watch like some blue, like creatures running around, you know? That's so soul is put that on a poster. Sometimes you just want to see some blue creatures running around. Aaron Ryan said that you can use it. Disney Pixar. Um, You're like soul, soul, colon, take mushrooms. Yeah, Yeah, but you don't want to do that inside. I watched soul and now I'm thinking um, I might need to watch it again with a little side of something, something. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like. I just was sitting there like, whoa, this is, I mean, that's how I feel when I watch Pixar movies, when I have no chemical alterations in my brain at all. Like they're, they're wonder inducing. Um, But it was a really relaxing and fun experience. And I recommend it with or without weed. Okay. (laughs) Um, Julissa, do you want to finish us off for Sanity Corner? Yes. Um, My Sanity Corner uh, and this is like a free advertisement, but um, I love my Peloton bike. I've had my Peloton bike for, I mean, I've had my Peloton bike for longer than, you know, since it became like a thing. Um, but truly, 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 it keeps me sane like every day of the week. Like I love Cody's super fun rides, Jess King and her crazy ass outfits and glitter. I don't know how her fucking makeup stays on. <laughs> Because I tried to wear makeup last week for one of her rides because I wanted to be like her. And by the (laughs) end of it, I looked like a fucking clown. Uh, But I still loved it. I love like Tunde. She's amazing. Like all of the Peloton instructors are awesome. And riding my bike makes me so tired, so happy. I sleep so well at night when I ride. It's really like the best thing I could have bought for myself. I love it. And also though, a little thing to pick, you get 12 uh, codes to give to people so they get $100 off and then you get $100 for like apparel. And that's the only way that I own any Peloton apparel because I'm not (laughs) going to pay like $100 for some leggings. (laughs) And I just think that I should be allowed to have more than 12 codes because I already only have like six left and it's January middle of January and I only have six left. And so Peloton, <laughs> I don't know how many Peloton rights I have sold for you, but I feel like I should be rewarded with more Peloton apparel. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I truly love this bike. It's like, you know, in the middle of my living room, not like the Peloton commercials where they're like in this huge, beautiful house. Like, no, <laughs> mine is taking up. Like I had to reduce my living room space to fit it, but totally worth it. It's amazing. I love it. And I can't wait to do my ride today. Do you guys remember yeah. 
like a year ago when there was that Peloton commercial about the woman who <laughs> appeared to be oh, yeah. tra- appeared to be trapped indoors, and we were all like, "What is this crazy video of this yeah, woman like who her doesn't got leave her Peloton for Christmas?" Right, and she she was like, "Here's my here's my progress," and she looked exactly the same at the end of the year as she did at the beginning, which was beautiful. Like, oh yeah, right. full disclosure, I have not lost a single pound, and I ride like. <laughs> a crazy person every day. But that's not why I do it. I do it for the sweat, for the endorphin, for the happiness. I, I, you know, to be honest, I also do it for the leaderboard. Like I love to see myself climb up that leaderboard. Like I love to, you know, I'm never going to be like first because these people are insane. But I just always <laughs> try to be on the top 50%. Like that's my goal every ride. I just mm-hmm. don't want to be in the bottom 50%. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my goal every time I ride. <laughs> How do you make yourself care about something like that? I can never care. I just can never care. Truly in my heart, I I don't care. I mean, I don't care about board games. There's so much stuff I truly, I can't muster up a competitive spirit. Please tell me, I don't even, I can't do it. I don't, I don't care. I, oh, well, okay. So I think it has something to do with the fact that I'm a, like a middle child. Okay. And so like I've always cared. Like I think I came out of the womb caring and wanting to be competitive. <laughs> like I hate losing. Losing is like my least favorite thing in the world. So I just don't want to be last. You know, like I know, but I also know my limits. It's like mm. I'm not trying to be, you know, top 10 on the Peloton bike because I know that's like out of my physical possibilities. So top 50%, you know, I, I adjust. I adjust to the circumstances. Mm-hmm. I but you. I think it has something to do with being a middle child. And so I just needed to stand out in some way by being the very best of all of my parents' children. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Love is okay. something that love is something that you earn by winning. Like you don't, you're not supposed to get it unconditionally, right? You're supposed to perform. I'm just kidding. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm going, I'm, I'm still seeing a therapist about that. <laughs> um, okay, guys, that's all the time we have. Uh, Julissa and Kieran, Thank you so much for being here. Thanks to Madeline Dean, representative from Pennsylvania, for walking us through impeachment. And thank you to my ride or die, Alyssa Mastromonaco, for being here with me for the last, whatever, three years. This is, I can't believe we're entering a new era. Like, this is the first episode where Donald Trump isn't the president that we've ever yes. done, which is crazy. Hope we're still oh, good. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I hope we're, yeah, that's great. Thank you for putting that into the universe. <laughs> <laughs> thank you and 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 fuck you. Um, and thanks to thanks to all of you, the listeners, for sticking with us through this crazy ride. There will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Malconian and Magic Root. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. 
Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.